That was well, I made to do the introduction, purchase. right? You guys cool with that? Yep. You guys ready? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Zoop. <sighs> Welcome back to Gush. Today, we have a real podcast on, unlike us. Um, they're the complete opposite of our show, where they're professional, they're consistent they have guests that people want to listen to um they're entertaining they don't stutter they don't do drugs on the show <laughs> welcome the create unknown or as i like to call it the make something mean something experience <clears throat> it is co-hosted by matthew Tabor, a narrator who I don't think I've seen anyone even come close to you uh, in the podcasting world or in the YouTubing world. So I'm very happy to have Matthew Tabor joining us. And <laughs> Kevin Lieber of Vsauce 2. Now, you might have heard of Michael from Vsauce, but Kevin is kind of like the... He's, I feel like Kevin is more substance over style. Um, you know, maybe that's just my take. But Kevin is kind of more of the uh, hard science um, guy. <laughs> so we're happy to have him You're on. You're a hard as well. science guy, Kevin. <laughs> Those well, are two separate descriptions. That's one hard science guy. <laughs> well,. I'm Two def separate definitely hard being on this podcast with you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That was like two out of three of the words. And um, <laughs> Sam, why don't you say something? Uh, these guys are like low-key, like some of the coolest people in the YouTube community. Uh, I feel like before I started connecting with other YouTubers, I didn't really... And as someone who doesn't really watch educational content that much, I, like, didn't know about Matt and Kevin until I got into, like, meeting other YouTubers. And when I did start to... When I did meet them, my, my reaction was, like, damn, these guys are actually, like, super fucking cool and based as fuck. And, like, you know, there's a lot of, uh... Well, let's just say not that in the YouTube community. Um... <laughs> So it was extremely refreshing and nice, and I was like really happy to connect with them. And uh, now I'm stoked that you guys are on the show. Well, I didn't want to jump in after the description because I was offended that you called us professional. Do you know how hard we work to, to squeeze in terrible things? Like if we have a recording where we don't somehow talk about like consuming like pea-soaked sandwiches, it's a failure. <laughs> hey, you're a commentator. No, no, no. You're. I don't mean to say... <laughs> I I mean like your guys production quality is professional. You guys we we were on your show and I think me and Sam both had a great time like honestly just bullshitting. Like we were just talking about whatever, like music and uh just like random memes. Like we talked about furries at one point. Yeah. You know, so you guys have your conversations are all over the place, which I really like. It's like always something interesting being talked about. Yeah, we have had yeah, no. uh, that comment in the past where people, um, they go into the Create Unknown sometimes nervous because, 
I, I don't know if they think we're going to be confrontational, which we never are. But I, I think maybe it's that, <laughs> no. that like element of just not knowing where the conversation's going to go because it can go, you know, I like to think of it as high, highly analytical and hopelessly stupid. It, it can go deep mm. into very serious issues, especially in the creator community. And then it could go equally deep into shallow things paradoxically, such as like how you can gamify a piss jug. <laughs> yeah there's definitely well, an anxiety with had, some um, people though I, and i don't know i don't fully know why because again it's not like we're we're famous uh for confrontation or anything like that but at the same time i i don't think a whole lot of people uh that that any of us know are too used to sitting down with like an unscripted but serious conversation you know what i mean like they don't want to say something dumb and i get that like i don't want to say something dumb either or at least i didn't at the beginning eventually i realized like trying to prevent that is hopeless and you're just going to say something stupid eventually but yeah. but i think uh you know unless you you record a lot and have a lot of those conversations you're a little bit a little bit tight at the beginning i think that's pretty normal would you say there is a would you say you got is a oh. <laughs> this is how you're this is why we're not, we're not. Yeah. yeah yeah no because well this actually ties into with what i want to say which is it, that's funny that you say all that because when dumb shit like that happens on this show or like i say something dumb or even sam says something dumb we kind of just roll with it and we think it's like because yeah. we think it's funny like we yeah. actually just have a good time in our own conversations doing that but would you the question I want to ask though is do you guys what your mindset with it let's say when you're having these conversations it's obviously a bit a little bit guided with your with your approach like Tabor you're always asking you know these very like really good interview questions to keep the conversation going uh like you could it's not just like random shit like oh uh how do you what's it like being a big youtuber it's like specific mm. questions that you clearly did research to um find out you know what what to ask you weren't just shooting you're not like just asking the same questions over and over and that's almost like journalistic to me it's almost like um it feels like 60 minutes or something in a way <laughs> is that what you're going My, for is that like what was your vision for it is what i want to know i just want andy rooney's eyebrows like 20, 30 years from now, I just want these massive caterpillars on my forehead. No, I mean, we do a blend, don't we, Kevin, where like I'd say we plan to a really light degree, mostly so we don't forget anything important. So like we don't we don't script a whole lot, but we do have a, a list of things we want to touch on to make sure that we get to them eventually. Um, and, and sometimes we make a call in them, you know, as we're doing it, where we decide not to pursue something because something else is more interesting or whatever. But um, I think this, this is tough because it's such a bad answer, uh, for somebody who's like, Oh, I want to, I want to be able to, you know, organize and plan things. Well, I, I think it's a function of, uh, both of us having known a tremendous range of people over the years and having had thousands of completely different conversations. So when we start to talk to somebody, we can get a sense of what they're into, what they're comfortable talking about, kind of sometimes even where they're going next uh, before they've explicitly said it. 
and and that allows us to be like a mix of loose and tight where we can let somebody talk about anything and it goes where it goes but at the same time make sure we hit the important parts and always bring it back to to the focus of the show yeah you have a good good way of not straying too far from a central theme which makes it an enjoyable listening experience all the way through yeah i think one trick that 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 might be helpful is to circle back on things like if somebody says something that you had a question about yeah. i will often write that down and no matter where they go with the rest of their answer and, and maybe it's two or three minutes later I will make sure to say, hey, you said this earlier and I want to ask about that. I think that's really important because that ends up being sometimes the better question, like not asking a follow-up question to where they ended their thought, but going kind of backwards mm. a few minutes when they dropped something that they weren't, they didn't really think through. And you say, hey, let's think that through. Why did you say that? And they're like, oh, shit, I was talking out my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what okay, a good podcast so is. I, I want to uh, open up an idea there, which is the way I interpret that on the surface, I guess. But I think there's reason behind this. We often say things when we're, when we're not planning our words so carefully in the moment of a conversation. I think we often let things slip that we didn't even know about ourselves. Right. That we don't even fully plan to say, but it just, you know, that's like kind of what therapy invokes out of people, I suppose. Mm. But there's like little mini spurts of therapy, if you want to think of it that way, going on all the time in the, in a conversation that you're invested in. Uh, <clears throat> we're cutting that. Obviously, <laughs> obviously like there's exceptions to that, right? Like. <clears throat> Sometimes you're just in a really casual conversation and that's not necessarily going to happen. But I think in certain and this kind of relates to Sam, like what your whole sort well, of Dr. investigation. Video. Yeah. On, onto Dr. K. Well, really, the discussion you had with Destiny more recently, I think even more so than your video where you guys are talking about, like, where is this barrier of online therapy uh, and like, what does this even really mean? Like, there's a lot of uncertainty with that. Because I think what we're discovering is that therapy is not just one thing. It's like a... It's specifically going on the create unknown. I think that's what Destiny that's and the I best form sort of, of came to <laughs> conclusion of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, no, but like I, I do think that there is a... Just to bring it back to what I was saying, though, I do think that there is a, a certain like level of authenticity or genuineness that comes across when people are just comfortable enough to just sort of speak their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Something will accidentally slip out of the subconscious, but the, 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 <clears throat> your job is to pick it up, like catch what slipped out of mm -hmm. their subconscious that they hadn't, haven't thought through, but it fell out. Oops. <laughs> so you grab that and say, Hey, <laughs> let's talk about that thing that just kind of fell out because that's interesting. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of kicking it in a ditch too. Like, like you see something that, oh, okay. So, so first of all, it's incredibly tough to know what the tone, the mood, how you're coming off, any of that is when you're the one speaking, when you're in the moment. And uh, going back to the the prior 
topic uh, that, that we had about like um, planning and all that stuff, it's a tremendous asset to have another person. Uh, so, you know, for me, that's Kevin who can talk for a couple minutes and I get to listen and kind of creep on who's saying what and think about it. And maybe I come back to a thing and maybe I take it into a different direction when I do chime back in. But having that distance is really good. If it's just one-on-one, that is a different dynamic. And when you're answering the questions, uh, yeah, it's it's really tough to know, you know, if you're saying something interesting, funny, boring, whatever. Um, you can really easily say something that makes you look a way that, that you kind of don't want to look. And it's it's really the other person's responsibility to get the person away from that. And I'm stumbling on this because I so want to throw a couple people under the bus and just be like, hey, when this guy, you know, clearly showed that, you know, he was a, a jerk in this situation. Um, <laughs> but I can't be specific. But no, that definitely happens where somebody says something, you're like, okay, if we keep talking about this and keep pulling that thread, it's not going to look good for him. So now's a good mm. time for a topic change. Now's a time to go down like a different twig on the branch where it's right. definitely going to be a better look for them. It's, it's almost, would you say you're, you're trying to, well, let me back up actually a second because I want to zoom out even further for, for a second here. Um, being good at a podcast like that or just content like that in general is it's a strange new territory because socializing in real life is one thing like that's one set of skills but having like the social skills for an online environment where we're like sam and i like we talk about this we kind of call it like uh, plato's cave where it's like there's mm. shadows on the wall that we're dealing. It's it's a representation of a person that I'm talking to rather than an actual person face to face. But that brings, I think, a new set of like social norms and cues. And maybe they're not even social. They're more technical in some cases, too, which is interesting. Um, as in like, you know, you're not necessarily reading the other person's face, but you wait for a lull in their speech or something. So it's mm. just audio based rather mm. than... <clears throat> in person, like we were just talking about whether or not we should turn on these cameras for this podcast. Um, but then Kevin suggested that we do because it's actually, um, you can tell easier when someone is about to stop talking or start talking or whatever, uh, cause you get a visual cue obviously. Hmm. So it's like these kinds of things are, um, you have to kind of unlearn and relearn a lot of things from real life. But I, I wanted to ask you though, do you, do you guys plan to ever have a, like a real life show? Do you want, are you fine with staying online? How do you feel about that? Uh, what do you mean by real life show? Like what, what, what does that look like? On like? a stage? Like on a stage? Like, no, 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 no. I mean like you guys are both in the same studio. Oh, same, you're talking oh, like the, the H3 room. podcast or something like that. Yeah. Like Joe like Rogan, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Like just where you're, you're meeting, you're in person when you're doing the podcast, you do it in person with people, not over the, not over discord or anything. It's unlikely right. just due to the geographic issues with that. You know, I know like, uh, for instance, a few months back, uh, cold ones went to Los Angeles. I mean, they're at, they're from Australia. 
uh, you know, Max yeah. and Chad. They went to L.A. for, I don't know, a month or two and then recorded a bunch of episodes there. I don't even remember when that was. Maybe that was a couple of years ago now. But um, everybody's all over the place, man. Like, you know, Joe Rogan, people will fly in to Austin or wherever he is now to do that because it's gigantic. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a travel budget, yeah. so... Um, I mean, Matt and I can be in the same location. We used to do that, um, but we yeah, don't anymore yeah, when just we began, because we were recording the same room. Yeah, it's a bit of a there's an opportunity cost there for the travel just for us um, that, you know, sitting in the car for six hours. It's like, well, I could just not do that and work for those six hours or <laughs> relax for those six hours. So I don't see the benefit of it unless you're living in Los Angeles, I guess, but that's probably not happening. Or if you're big, like yeah. super, well, super big. It's not so much Los Angeles. I think you could just be living anywhere. Like you, uh, but but I guess you're saying to have guests, they would to have, have guests. Be, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They have yeah, to have some place to go. So famous. It yeah. is interesting that Los Angeles is like, there's an, obviously not everyone is from there, but there's enough people there that it's, you could you could sustain um, an internet based audience with guests there in person. Mark Marin has done that forever. Sense. I mean, the WTF pod—that's uh, yeah. like one of the oldest yeah. podcasts that there is—and he has always just done that, like out of his garage in LA, and mm-hmm. has comedians show up and they have a conversation. So that's one of the oldest forms of podcasting, is what you're talking about. But I don't see that in our future. Do you think this there reminds is a lost me of something? Benefit of it? Oh well, this this is actually what my okay, interjection yeah. is about. Is is about how the dyna- you know what would be the difference in the dynamic? And I think it would be a tiny little bit different, but not not substantially. I mean, most of the things operate the same way. And what pops into my head with this uh, with this like specific thought is when people used to discuss online poker as opposed to live poker, you know? And it was like, how, how can you do this? You can't see the other people's faces. Well, it turned out not to matter a whole lot. Uh, there's a little bit of information you might get, get from that. There's, there's also information you get from the online stuff that you don't get in person. And it's, you know, it's the same, it's substantially the same between the two. So in terms of production, like, yeah, maybe it's cooler to have, like for the viewer to have uh, people in an H3 style studio and everybody's, you know, there together and that's nice to watch. But if you're taking a transcript of the conversation, do I think it's going to be any different? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And if it is, it's, it's going to even out both ways so that it's not one isn't better or worse. Well, because the thing that you need to consider also is that it, it whatever you would gain from being in person, you lose over the fact that everybody knows this is being recorded for public consumption. So you can't compare <sighs> yeah. like an in-person private conversation with an in-person public conversation. Either way, mm-hmm. you know that it, people are listening, so you're going to be inherently guarded with your language just for the fact that that's true. You know, all of us don't want to lose our jobs over some snide remark we made in passing on a podcast. <clears throat> That's true, but I don't 
sorry, I'll, I'll let you interject in a second, Sam. I know you want to say something. I didn't. I actually didn't have anything, but I'm glad you oh. feel like I did. I hope everyone feels like I have so much to say. <laughs> okay, well, let me just, we can move on from this, but I just want to make one comment, which is that I hear what you're saying, Kevin, um, and I agree with you on that, that people are just, when they're aware that they're being recorded, they're going to naturally uh, just change what they're going to say. But I think that's that just that's that is one layer of separation from reality, and I think the remoteness of talking through a screen is another layer of separation. Like, for example, it's just a little bit like when Tabor was talking, he, there's a slight delay on his webcam yeah, versus yeah. the audio, and it's, it's like trippy. that's fine. And like, it's probably something on my end, or maybe it's his end, but it doesn't. I'm not like hung up on it, but. That's just like a natural part of online conversations. You expect sometimes there to sure. be not a perfect image. And I guess I just I don't know. I, I guess I place more significance on the difference that being in person with people makes. Well, what's the difference between a book and a video? Um, that that's I mean, that's been a question between a, a, a book and audio uh, between something printed versus you know, centuries ago, going to hear somebody say it. There, there's all this different, uh, there's a difference in, in medium, but is it ultimately a big deal? I mean, if you read a book and then you watch the, you know, the movie of it, um, there are probably times where you don't focus as much on, on dialogue or uh, on noticing some things visually. Uh, that you would have been forced to read about in a book. Well, you, you miss that out, or miss out on that, and and it kind of works vice versa. You get to see something or hear something that impacts you in in a much greater way than you know a paragraph about it would have done. So is it is it better or worse? I, I don't know. Probably depends on what you're going for. That's a good way to look at it. It's just like it's not that it's better or worse. It's that it's different. And there's unique positives and pros and cons to each one. You have trade-offs. I think trade-offs is one of the concepts, like just generally speaking, that is incredibly undervalued and underthought about in human life and society. We always want to have this would be better than that, or like here's the solution to that. With everything, I don't care like what we're talking about, serious or 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 frivolous. Trade-offs are, are never really considered, or it's never, it never seems to be articulated in such a manner, from my perspective at least, when I think that it's like the crucial element to almost everything that people argue about. <laughs> what's, what's like a really notable argument you feel like where trade-offs aren't, people aren't considering trade-offs? Any political argument ever. Pick one. Pick any of them. I'm serious. Pick anything that people have bumper <laughs> stickers about. <laughs> and that's a trade-off yeah. argument. Yeah. Okay, global mm. warming. Sure. Trade-offs. Next. Go down the list. It, just bullet point <laughs> all of them. <laughs> the trade-off well, there on. is substantially I, I altering to, uh... your actions, uh, usually at your own expense, to do things differently to affect... You know, global warming, that's easier for some people than others. You know, for a, a normal 
person, it might be, uh, I can get a, a hybrid car instead of, you know, an F-150. Um, maybe that's an easy trade-off for them. If you are running a factory, uh, then you have massive costs associating with, you know, doing things in like a green or sustainable way. So, yeah, I mean, the trade-offs are not the same for everybody on most issues. And, and you've got to acknowledge, number one, that they exist, like Kevin says. You can't dismiss them. Uh, at all, but people do it because it's so much easier. Uh, and then when you do acknowledge them, you have to acknowledge that they, they tend to be different. You know, they, the impacts and the costs and uh, whether it's hard not or equal. easy. Like, yeah. No, there's a tremendous range of those trade-offs. So yeah, it's accepting them in the first place and then like finding the nuance in them. This is actually somehow every time that I record a podcast before I'm about to release a major video, the conversation starts out as totally unrelated and then ends up relating like almost to what I'm exactly <laughs> working on because this video I'm making about LA is like a documentary about mm. LA basically and a lot of its issues and stuff from the perspective of someone like just filming people's stories on the ground there. But anyways, the, um, there is a lot of that, that going on trade-offs when it comes to things like, you know, the war on poverty or the war on drugs or, yeah. you know, a lot of policies that are meant to help, a lot of things that are meant to help, but they always come with a trade-off. They might help something here, but they cause another problem there or they, you know, it's just, and it becomes a very complicated, politics is complicated, basically, you know, is the short way of putting it. It's extremely complicated. And I think it's almost an inevitable, it is, there's something to the numbers thing, I think, where it's like, it almost seems like an inevitability of numbers of people when you have so many people like in LA, when you have 10 million people, you know, running around with all these different businesses and all this competition, it becomes difficult for one, any one person to really have a good grasp on. I feel like this is the, the Soviet union problem where it's like, you know, if the four of us live together, we could eventually figure out, a pretty efficient way to buy groceries. You know, we could, we could, we would eat different things and have different diets and just plain want different things. But eventually, we could get to a, a place that really satisfied all four of us. If we have yeah. 40 people in a house, uh, we have to do it in a more general way. Like, we're still probably going to do a pretty good job after a while, but our individual, you know, kind of point score out of 100 is not going to be as high. So now you're talking 10 million, uh, whether it's, you know, a million in, in, you know, some city in the former Soviet Union or 10 million people in L.A. How do you do that in a meaningful way? It is ridiculously difficult with any, any number of people, any size of an organization to handle a complex thing with accuracy. You can contrast that with businesses like like do it with something like Apple. Apple honestly doesn't do that very that many things. You know, it makes a limited range of products and uh, has some web services, but ultimately it's not like a government that's doing like literally thousands of things at different levels. So they can pull that off and do a pretty good job and be pretty responsive to the people who make up the group. How do you do that in Los Angeles? You kind of can't. It's too big. Too varied, right? Yeah. You would have to constantly, like, preferentially rank 
everything in your life for the city of Los Angeles or the county to know what to do to make you happy. So the, the only alternative really is to like seed control to those smaller units, whether that unit is the individual or, you know, a, a, a hamlet, a village, a town. I don't know, something manageable. Yeah. Tabor, I have to thank you because you just helped me finish my conclusion. <laughs> hey oh so there we go thank you for that i appreciate that, that it's was, actually just gonna be a clip from this it's just episode. gonna be this clip yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have can, 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 can i sample your voice can i sample your voice can we I redo it might. so we can include the word devolution uh, you know just to, just to throw and a vocab word in there <laughs> no we see we we really do see it on youtube though like you can see it on Twitter when somebody like right now, the big one is Copper Cab. He, Copper Cab is mm. trying to get his his channel unsuspended. Copper Cab has been around for like 10 years that I can remember. He's a massive. So, tool. yeah, you know, I remember him Cab. in his He's war. He's the guy who said McGinnis. gingers don't have souls or something. And he was like, this is like 15 years ago. Oh, wow. He was like, what yeah. was he doing? He's like, gingers do have souls. I'm He's like yelling at people. Wasn't that was his, his screaming was amazing. Yeah, that it was, was so great. funny. But like, you know, they they can't respond to his channel like on an individual way. So it's the canned response. It's the submit an appeal, which is a bullshit process. Even when it works, it takes a long time. Um they have this kind of one size fits all system for a massive range of people with a massive range of content in like 200 different countries. So how are they going to be able to administer that effectively? They can't. And I understand why they can't. I don't think it could be done a whole lot better with that particular setup, but that's how it works. When you try to do too much with too large a group, you just can't get very far. Mm hmm. Which is why we're doing the smart thing by having uh, two team groups here on this joint podcast. <laughs> really just dividing it. You know, you guys are one person, we're one person. There's only two people to accommodate. Yeah, I mean, you joke about that, guys, but have you ever been on a call with like 10 people? Oh, that's oh, impossible. Yeah, that's, it is. You're in Plato's cave at that point the worst it is absolutely the worst because first of all at some point each one of those 10 feel like they need to interject or else what are they doing yeah. there they need to justify right. their presence yeah. on the call in some manner yeah. uh, but ultimately maybe three people usually have some sort of meaningful contribution to make to that call okay so great now you have more than twice as many who are just lurking and eventually i mean look how about we, we we bring this conversation to why hollywood ruins so many media properties and that's because there are a million cooks in that kitchen and a million people yeah. trying to justify their jobs and before right. you know it you have like 300 million dollar disasters like uh yeah you know, the last ba basically, yeah, or like, yeah, the Star Wars yeah. movies, the DC Comics right. movies that that everybody hates. That's why that happens. It's chaos. It's chaos. Truly, it's chaos. It, it's just a complete lack. Of, yeah, it, it's a lack of order because it's like, oh, let's not pick a direction. Let's all just randomly alternate between many directions simultaneously. 
I think um, but that's the that's the reality of that organ of a big organization like that because like if if everybody could get what they wanted, what do they do? Do they make one movie or even one cut to make it a little bit easier? One cut that's like a fan service cut. Then do they uh, make a cut that focuses on Zack like, Snyder cut. representation of? Yeah, I mean, you, you'd have all of these different things. It wouldn't be tenable. Which one do you go see? How do you release them? Do you do you put out like nine versions on the same day? How much does that cost? Like, there, mm. there's kind of no other way to do it. So they're trapped in uh, this system that's that's bonkers. Like Kevin said, that's like a, a stew of of people churning their ideas for no good reason at the same time uh what do you do make 11 versions oh, it's, it's a tough spot tricky oh. trade-off back to um those are the trade-offs yeah for the for the the big picture idea the concept of this in general which is like the com- complexity that comes with numbers i guess at a certain scale um, and too much information and all these things that that's related to what you're saying. Um, I think this is something like, again, that me and Sam talk about, but I think one answer to that, you know, to answer your question is to put it like in the most simple terms is something like you have to take control. You have to accept it all as one and like take control of yourself. Absolutely. Um, View yourself as everything and take control of yourself, if that makes sense. That's probably the best way I can put it, right? In other words, How far those who are go? like focused on consciousness are basically trying to answer that question. Right? I think you need to elaborate a little bit more. I'm, that's why you're here. Please help me elaborate because words start to fail me when it ta- comes to talking about this kind of stuff. Um. Okay, wait. So we're... Are we still talking about like the this you know like when you have a big corporation and then there's like this chaos in terms of lack of direction and stuff like that? Are, well, I'm just I talking. About, <laughs> I'm talking about um, the idea before that, where it's just how in general, like with a massive city like LA, the layers of or like YouTube, massive site like YouTube, the layers of complexity become so much that it's difficult to have any kind of order basically is what i'm saying so there's a lot of chaos Mm. and i'm saying that this kind of stuff is hap is i think it's happening a lot online it's happening a lot in real life there's a lot of this in the world right now so maybe i didn't make that actually very that connection clear but in response to that a lot of people have chosen to kind of go inside they've chosen to look inward to mm, I see. because when you look inward you control yourself and if you view yourself as part of everything which is like the idea behind meditation the idea behind a lot of this new age like spiritualism stuff or whether you want to call it new age or not a lot of it's not new age like buddhism is this idea as well that a part of one inside of one is everything and everything is one going back to what you said Tabor about the individual at, at one small scale um is the most local form of being able to manage something versus yeah. the larger, larger scale you go, the harder it is to manage these, these complicated things, basically. It's, there's a, you know, the actual term is the knowledge problem, but it applies to what you're just saying, where 
it, it's really nice to work with yourself because your knowledge is 100%. You know, and it, like even the things you tend not to know, you know that you don't know them. And that's a huge asset. But, um, you know, I've worked with Kevin for a long time. Uh, what percentage do I know him compared to the hundred percent? That's me. I don't know. It's, it's probably pretty high, but it's not a hundred percent. I know me better than I know him. I've talked to both of you guys for a couple of years now. Um, you know, it's, it's not 0%. It's not a hundred percent. Where is it? And that's the four people on this call. Each, each, uh, kind of step you go, the amount of knowledge you have about what somebody even wants let alone what they they think on a deeper level you know it gets lower and lower contracts, and yeah. if you pull somebody yeah it contracts yeah it's like to a um you know like a limit of zero kind of thing where if i pull somebody off the street in los angeles who i've never met before they're incredibly close to zero they're probably not quite there like i probably know they don't want me to murder them that they want to stay alive today i can i can assume it's that ridiculous assumption. so i know one thing about them yeah, well, maybe it, honestly, there's a non-zero chance that they're hoping that I stab them. That it's right. like, you know, God, I just want somebody to end this today. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so even Especially that one that thing guy. that seems completely obvious, <laughs> you know, even that isn't a guarantee. And so the the larger uh, a thing gets, more the more people who are in it. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, and it's really appealing to know that I can have a pretty close to a hundred percent handle on on this little universe that is me inside of me. Uh, yes. And, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's, that's I'm, a nice thing. You're exactly picking up what I, you said it better than I could. Oh my God. This is why Tabor is the best narrator there is. He just, <laughs> I, I put out like garbage information that's disconnected. And then he like, it's like making up like those pasta making machines where you put in the pasta dough and it comes out all silky smooth. That's kind of what Tabor is. He's like the <laughs> pasta making machine of conversation. Thought spaghetti. Yeah, that's a, a Hayek. That's a Hayek thing, really. Though it is like he was talking about it in economic terms, where, where it's, it's really just what you said. The, you know, the closer you get to one, the more knowledge you have about how to how to fix a problem, how to you know, respond, how to allocate resources, whatever it is, whatever it is, you're you're at one. Um, you know, so that's an an old an old concept, but I think you're right that people seem to be, seem to be into it a lot more. Like 20 years ago, I think if Jordan Peterson had come out and said, clean your room, it wouldn't have done as well as it did mm -mm, no. more recently. And I what, about, that. what about 75 years ago? You know what I'd say if I was a parent in like 1952 and somebody's telling me to clean or telling my kid to clean their room, I'd be like, no, don't clean the room. Clean the house. Clean the garage. <laughs> We're a family unit. You know, your room is just a small yeah. part of this thing. Yeah. Well, 75 years point. later, now like clean your room is a very specific thing wow. that resonates because people are trending toward this individual. Right. Yes. But at the uh, same time, I also feel like it's uh, in many ways culturally the opposite. It seems like we are uh, socially, at least in terms of like progressive people, we're like moving towards collect. I guess that in a way you could say that is almost the same thing, but it's like we're moving towards collectivization, right? But then in that sense, the collective is the one. So it goes back to where we yeah. were with it's. It's not the we're room. Hitting it's house equal, again. We're hitting a strange, very. It's very hard to make sense for the world we're heading into because so much of it is in shadows. So much of it is either not seen in terms of like, we don't 
all have tabs on every form of social media and every type of sentiment that's popular amongst them. And no one could possibly manage to know that. So it's just like it's becomes things become more fragmented through the Internet is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where this leaning towards the individual comes. I think this is maybe controversially, I would tie this to the advent of pronouns and the advent of new genders, because it's like people want to feel like they're individuals. And if they choose to identify as a certain gender or sexuality in some cases, um, then that makes that that's something they can identify with. It's but doesn't just that make them part of a group as well? It does. Um, and that's because people also want to belong. They want to belong in a community and like-minded people, but they also want to be an individual in that group. I think that's kind of the way I would put it. It's like, you know, in a family, you're a part of a family, but you're also an indiv you're also your own person. And there's a balance there that's like some ideal mm. spot in between. Yeah, I think what you're talking about in, in a lot of ways um, reminds me of like punk, like like early 80s punk, where it's anti-disestablishment, -dis or it's um, anti-establishment. You know, I'm not part of the system, man. But it's like, meanwhile, the <laughs> punk aesthetic is everybody dresses almost identically. You know, yeah. we have like the leather jacket with the studs and the patches of like the same seven bands and like, you know, the mohawk <laughs> or whatever. It's like, okay, on one hand, they're saying, I'm not a part of what you're selling me. And, and on, on the other hand, they're saying, but we're all in this together, kind of. And we're all going to kind of dress the same and look the same and think, um, think the same, like the same music, and rebel together almost. So it's like this coalition yeah. of rebellion rather than true rebellion, which would be lonely Energy. and no one does that no one does that no <laughs> one wants to be the unabomber okay that's true right. rebellion it's like living Being alone in a tiny shack in the middle of yeah. nowhere <laughs> mailing bombs around the country okay nobody wants to be like that be being lonely is glamorous from an outsider's perspective but as the lonely person it's not i don't think it's very fun not a lot of fun you know, it's a lot of work that people don't realize. This came up on, I, I forget who we were talking to, and it may have been a recording where it was just Kevin and I talking. Um, but at a certain point, you know, like 10 years ago, I, I was going from country to country. And it became exhausting to meet a new group of people because you have to meet them on a basic level where it's like, ah, you know, this is what I do. This is where I'm from, whatever. Like, you don't have to do that very often now with, with your friend circle. They already know this. And so you go on to like, you know, next level conversations. But, you know, when you go to different places, um, you have to start the whole thing over again. And the more of a loner type you are, the more you're doing these like surface level opening interactions, like playing the demo of a game before you actually get to play it. And all you're doing is playing the demos and it gets really fatiguing and it sucks uh, and I think some of the rebelish loner type people you know they, they hate that process like well I'm going to pull back even further and then you, you do wake up one day and you're shipping a nail bomb from a cabin and I know what I'm going to title this episode a conversation about conversations <laughs> about conversations algorithm gold 
Conversation so, squared. Just for you know, COVID. what you were saying there also <laughs> just reminds me of like why people like like in the, for example the punk thing, uh, why why it's like instead of being like you stand as an individual, you stand as in like an alternative system or something. Like what you were saying about the like surf the doing the surface route level interactions reminds me of like someone who is like I don't know gay or something, right? They have to come out of the closet repeatedly every time they meet someone new mm, because yeah. unless yep. they have like a pride flag on or they like act really flamboyant or something, in which case they don't have to bother because it's like, oh, well, I'm aligned with this. You could just know already. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're telegraphing it somehow. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, hey, maybe that's, hey Kevin, yeah. how, Excuse me. Uh, how does this stuff square with with the friend limit? Like, how does the group stuff and the individual stuff square with uh, Robin? Uh, what's his last name? Dunbar. Yeah, Dunbar, Robin Williams. That's right. Famous anthropologist. <laughs> I said thick. So I said me. Thick. Yeah. <laughs> I said Williams. I said thick. Um, Dunbar's I don't know. number. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Dunbar's yeah. number. I don't. I don't know how it how it squares. Um, exactly. His think, idea was that there's about a hundred people you can have a memory living memory of in your head like 100 people you can actively keep track of at any time in your head as a human being i think that's the idea behind it essentially you can have a friendship with like you you know enough about them and care enough about them and and conversely they know enough about you and care enough about you it's not like some stan relationship where someone knows literally everything about some (laughs) k-pop star and the k-pop star doesn't know they exist that's not a friend um, it has to be reciprocal, yeah. um, and, and it's a cognitive limit. Supposedly, it's just a hypothesis that you know we yeah. evolved essentially to hold more or less around 150. But I read something, um, a study, this this year I think came out suggesting it's actually much lower than 150, which oh. I would believe. I actually do believe. Uh, but that then you have these sense. concentric circles where you know your inner circle would be you know your nuclear family, and then your closest friends and it goes out and out and out and out and out until it's just like the guy that you worked with at a pizza shop when you were 18 like you know who he is he knows who you are but you know he's not going to pick you up from the airport at three o'clock in the morning